Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 12th, 2015. All right, we're going to ease into the week. <laughs> ease into it, yeah. I've saved some of the crazier stuff for programs later this week. We're going to start off semi-sane. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. It's as if there is a full-blown rebellion in the body of Christ. And um, the the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles and apostolates, um, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, as whose books we need to be buying, you know, uh, whose, uh, well, stuff we need to be studying instead of God's word in our small group Bible studies. Um, it, you know, we test to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's word says. And over and over and over and over again, it's as if all of these uh, Christian pastors are completely oblivious as to what the central message and heart of Christianity is about. They do not know how to properly exegete or handle uh, a biblical text. They don't know how to rightly distinguish between law and gospel they don't preach sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They preach us. And it's really a mess. Now, m- many of you really over the past couple of years have been asking me about a guy by the name of Levi Lusco or Lusco. And uh, he's a guy that I've been patiently keeping an eye on, waiting for him to really kind of come to his own. He uh, is one of these seeker-driven guys. He uh, pastors a church in Montana, and uh, and he's kind of an up-and-coming star in the uh, seeker-driven movement. In fact, I would say Levi Lusco is probably where Stephen Furtick was when Stephen Furtick first published his, uh, his uh, first book. Was it Sun Stand Still? That's kind of where Levi Lusco is. And uh, so today we're going to take our first listen to uh, Levi Lusco and uh, he recently preached at Elevation Church, which is uh, Stephen Furtick's church, there to talk about his new book, the, Through the Eyes of a Lion. Through the Eyes of a Lion. We're going to do an extended Levi Lusco 
uh, you know, segment today, start to get a radar fix on what this guy's about. And uh, hopefully this episode of Fighting for the Faith will be useful if you have friends and family who are thinking this Levi Lusco guy is just the bee's knees. Well, now that he has a book, I think it's important that we pay a, a little bit more attention to him. So we have a Levi Lusco update it time permitting, and that's you know kind of the one thing I, I have to kind of pay attention to today because this Levi Lusco uh, update may go a little long. Time permitting, I'm going to uh, take a look at uh, a recent sermon by Perry Noble, where he just just something weird, and I mean this weird with uh, the Lord's Supper and uh, at least his teaching on it, and then in hour number two today. Uh, we're going to be uh, going to Church Unlimited, Church Unlimited, and we're going to be listening to a sermon from Church Unlimited, and, um, you know, it's about getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're thinking, what? what is that about? Yeah, well, that's kind of what I'm wondering about, too. I mean, where in the Bible are we taught that we need to get outside of our comfort zone? So that's what we're going to be doing with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and since we really, truly do have a truckload of ground that we need to cover we're going to get right to it and this is our first ever levi lusco uh, uh, update that requires us to do this I'll count a bit 
That's right. That's Los Lobos Ministry Records and uh, their rendition of Foreigners Double Vision. Their version is called Casting Vision. We use that for our vision casting leaders here at Fighting for the Faith. And we're going to get right to this. The name of the sermon that we're going to be listening to in part by Levi Lesko is entitled Through the Eyes of a Lion Delivered at Elevation Church. Let's take a crack at this and see if this guy is a careful exegete, somebody who rightly handles God's word, or does he engage in a form of narcissism? Well, if he's preaching at Elevation Church, chances aren't good that he's going to be rightly handling God's word. Here we go. Let's just linger in this moment, just a, just a second longer, if you don't mind. I just sensed God moving so powerfully as, as we were singing. Uh, <laughs> really, you did? Okay. I watched a special a little while ago on uh, free diving. If you don't know, uh, free diving is where you go scuba diving only with no scuba tank. These are not smart people. <laughs> they take one breath, just one big breath. And then they go deep down into the ocean. And this documentary I was watching was specifically about someone who was preparing to break uh, the, the record on how deep you could go on one breath. You Get this, he was preparing to go 331 feet down. Which, just to give you some picture of it, if you take just the metal part of the Statue of Liberty, the statue itself, it's two of those on top of each other. And that's how deep he was going to go down below on one breath. And so he was preparing for it, and he was doing like these weird yoga poses that I won't recreate or talk about. But he kept gulping. He kept taking these big breaths and then like gulping, almost like he was taking a bite of food. Yeah, now by the way, this is sermon time there at Elevation Church, and I'm not sure what this has anything to do with the Bible. We continue. Only he was just, he was eating air. And they asked his trainer, his coach, they said, what, is, what on earth is he doing? And they said, well, he knows he's about to go to a very deep, very dark place. And so he needs to bring as much with him for the journey as he can. And so for like half an hour, he's just gulping, 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 breath after breath. Why are the people at Elevation applauding for this? Now, I'm going to note here, there's a weird technique going on here. Apparently, seeker-driven leaders can not only narcissate biblical passages... They have the uh, the spiritual ability to narcissate anything they think is interesting while flipping channels on you know while you know through the cable channels right. So this guy's flipping. He's at home. Levi Lesko's at home and he's flipping channels and he comes across something rather interesting. A guy who's about to break the record for diving without a scuba tank and he's watching and watching and watching and going. <gasps> I can read myself into this spiritually, and I can create a spiritual principle from this that we are going to need to apply to our lives if we're going to want to take our spiritual walks to the next level. <gasps> it was a divine moment. Uh, you no, know, it's not. Um, if God really wanted us to, uh, to understand how you know, diving without a scuba tank uh, was somehow, you know, an important metaphor for something for us to understand regarding our growth in Christ, our growth in discipleship, then it would be in Scripture. You know what I'm saying? We continue. 
after breath. And I'm like watching this going, you can't fit anymore. And they said, no, he's, he's forcing his lungs open fuller. Because at the deepest part of the ocean, there's so much pressure that by the time he gets to the bottom, the pressure of the ocean will be crushing his lungs to where they're the size of oranges. So right now, he is manually forcing, overriding them to each become as big as a watermelon. And as I was watching this, I was just overcome and I couldn't help but thinking about it because I just wonder, maybe, just maybe, there's someone here. Now that's the setup, by the way. I can't help but wonder, maybe, just maybe. See, when somebody starts talking like this and they're a vision casting, seeker driven leader, yeah, I mean, this is them basically admitting that what they're coming up with next is somehow some kind of speculation. It's not really, you know, a biblical text, but maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just, could you just imagine with me, what if, what if, what if, you know, and the, see, this is the setup. Now they're having you come and dream along with them, if you would. But notice again, there's no biblical text open here. And this is sermon time over at Elevation Church. Who's going to have a dark week ahead of you or a dark month or maybe a year from now something difficult is going to come or, or maybe six years from now. And I wonder if just maybe the God who's outside of time isn't trying to do something in your heart or build something in your spirit so that when you get there, you'll have what you need. So maybe just for a yeah, Maybe just maybe, you know, God is preparing you to... Dive to the depths of the ocean without a scuba tank. I mean, you just, maybe, maybe, just maybe, he's preparing you to do that right now. Maybe, just maybe, he's preparing you for, yeah, it's like, what is this? This is not Christian doctrine. This is not biblical exegesis. I don't know what this is. A second longer, we could just bask in the- And again, notice the manipulative music playing in the background the glow of his glory and take a bigger breath and then take a little bit bigger of a breath because the king is among us come on jesus is here let's sing it out one more time okay so now we've got a little bit of a praise interlude going on here he's among us uh, yeah because we've just heard a story about some guy who took in big gulps of breath and then dove down 300 feet into the depths of the ocean or water or what without a scuba tank. Oh, yes, I can feel myself growing closer to Jesus now because I've heard that story. Yeah, it, this is nonsense. This is gobbledygook. This is not capable of strengthening your faith and growing you in your discipleship because if this is what God wanted you to know and to believe, he would have put it in the Bible. Yeah, the job of a pastor is to preach the word. All right, let's uh, tune back in as they're now done with their praise interlude here. Sounds like they're at a rock concert. We don't ever get a casually approach God's presence. We can't afford to. Because you, once you're deep down in it, you better hope you got it. We're always in the midst of opportunities to train for a trial we're not yet in. Elevation Church, it is so great to be with you this weekend. Every location across the state, Concord, two-year anniversary in Concord this weekend. So grateful for all God's doing all across the Elevation Church house. 
Uh, if you wouldn't mind, take a seat uh, all around uh, all around the campuses. Thank you so much, team. Such a great honor to sing with you. It was two years ago that I was here preaching. Uh, I gave a message called Turn Off the Dark, talked about how hurting with hope still hurts and how to make it through this difficult thing that's called Saturday. When we preached that message here at the church, we were, we were still very much fresh in the aftermath of, of the most difficult thing. Uh, your pastor referenced it, uh, our daughter Linya. Five years old, uh, she went unexpectedly, suddenly, without notice, home to heaven, just five days before Christmas. And, and so when I was here last, I was sharing with you some of the, the things that we were learning that were keeping us afloat. It was the air that was in our lungs that was keeping us going when, when it was dark and difficult and scary. And, and uh, after I preached the first uh, message Saturday night at Elevation, uh, your pastor took me to, to dinner. And uh, we were we were eating, and as as we were we were spending some time together, um, I, I love him so much. He's a, he's a brother to me, um, truly like a like a big brother that I didn't have in in life. And so I felt uh, safe to confide something in him that I hadn't told anybody outside of my wife. I told him that I was thinking and praying about writing a book. That I felt like God put it on my heart to to put to page some of these things that were in me, and and uh, and I, I told him the title. I just come up with it. He's literally the first person we, we shared this with, this, this idea. And by the way, let me just pause. Let's TiVo this for a second here and talk about how, how much you got to be careful, how much you share when you're pregnant with a dream. How, how you don't. Uh, well, that tells you something about his theology right there. Apparently, Levi Lusco was not too long ago pregnant with a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that tells us a lot about his theology there. He's not a sound exegete, and he's buying into this whole false doctrine regarding the dream destiny thingy. You don't just be telling that to everybody because things are vulnerable when they're small, when they're in their nascent state, when they're in their seed form. They're easiest to be taken out and they're easiest for you to be talked out of it. I learned this the hard way with my firstborn daughter. We had this name for our daughter. We had this name we were going to call her. And I made the mistake of telling my older sister the name we were thinking of. I said, we're thinking of calling her. And I just told her. And she said, you can't call her that. That sounds like a stripper name. And I, I will not tell you, in case that's your name, what it was going to be. But then it ruined the name for me. I loved it before, but then I, I couldn't even say it without thinking that. And so we had to come up with a new name. And so I was a little worried about telling someone for the first time what I was thinking about calling my book. What if they said that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of? So I made a wise decision. I chose to, to, to let, let the first eyes on it be eyes that came from a heart of faith. You see, and your pastor over, over, over Rock Shrimp here in Charlotte, he said to me, that's an amazing name. This is going to be an amazing book. He, he took all of my fears and spoke faith into them. And Yeah, and by the way, um, what's the reason why Levi Lusco is at Elevation Church? Yeah, he's going to be preaching about the lessons from his book. You know why he's there? In order to sell copies of his um, book, yeah. yeah. Do you have a problem with somebody taking pulpit time during what should be the time when the sermon is happening to plug their books? Because that's what he's doing. He's plugging his book right there, you know, and letting everybody at Elevation know that it has Stephen Furtick's stamp of approval. I mean, he Stephen Furtick has read this book. He's... He's laid eyes on it. He's, he knew the title before the book was even written, and and he approves strongly, strongly approves. And and uh, and so, do you have a problem with people using pulpit time 
to basically convince people that they should be buying their book? Yeah, we got a problem here. Them. He kept texting me, this needs to happen. The lion needs to roar. It's going to be powerful. Lives are going to be changed. Our church was never the same after that. I don't even care if it was. Uh, their church was never the same after what? After what? After they studied God's word? No, no, no. Levi Lesko's church was never the same after they read his first book, Through the Eyes of a Lion. Mm-hmm. It wasn't true. It encouraged me. And so I dared to write the book and... And he encouraged me all along the way. He offered to write the foreword. And, and then, get this, when I finished it, he was the first person I let read it after my wife had read it. He, he, uh, and then he was, get this, he was the one who talked me out of killing someone or myself after I got the first round of edits back from the editor. He said, it's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. And, and, and I, for, for that... And for 10,000 other reasons, I am here to say to you, Pastor Stephen, I love you. I'm thankful for you. I love Holly, Elijah, Graham, Abby, the Lusco tribe, the fresh. Yeah, I'm so thankful for you because you're ensuring that a lot of people are going to buy my book. Yeah, it should be lucrative for me. My family loves the verdicts and the, the Elevation Nation. We love you. You're a preacher, a leader, a thinker, a writer, a songwriter, a worship leader. You are any number of those gifts by themselves. A uh, Bible twister, a narcissistic eisegete. Yeah, he's a lot of things, that's for sure. Elves would make you a, a weapon of mass destruction to the devil. No weapon of mass destruction to the body of Christ because he doesn't preach Christ. He preaches himself. But God packed your spirit full of every single one of those things, and the world is a better place because you're in it. Yeah, the world is a better place because of Stephen Furtick. Yeah, I thought, yeah, we're supposed to be preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins. Yeah, I seem to remember the uh, the apostle, um, no, sorry, not the apostle, John the Baptist saying that Christ must increase and that uh, he, John the Baptist, must decrease. Or you can think about the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians where he says to the church at Corinth, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yet we're hearing a lot of Stephen Furtick here, uh, not a lot of Jesus. Hearing a lot of Levi Lusco, not a lot of Jesus. Um, in fact, we, we haven't even gotten to a biblical text yet. Apparently there's spiritual principles in like Discovery Channel documentaries on guys who dive without scuba tanks. Who knew? We continue. And I know, I, I know y'all hear, I know y'all hear this kind of stuff all the time. But I also know how dangerous it is to be so close to something so awesome. How you can get desensitized to it and forget how spectacular it is. So I came from Montana to tell you, Express Mail. That you are a part of an avalanche of a move of the Holy Spirit of God. Why should we believe that the Elevation Church is an avalanche of a move of the Holy Spirit of God when Stephen Furtick twists God's word and preaches himself rather than Christ? Why would the Holy Spirit be behind that? He's doing something great. He's up to something wonderful in your midst. And I just hope you understand that all you've seen God do thus far, it's all rebar and concrete. The foundation has just been laid. I got news for you. Jesus always saves his best wine for the end of the feast. 100,000. So Elevation Church is Jesus' best wine? Yeah, wrong. It's more like vinegar. Just gonna be the appetizer, baby girl. It's just gonna, it's just gonna be the beginning of all that God's gonna do. Albert Einstein said that the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest.
And I feel in my spirit that there is an escalating exponential anointing upon the Elevation House. Just yeah, Again, why would you believe that when Stephen Furtick, every single time we've uh, reviewed anything from Furtick here on this program, he has twisted God's word and made it about himself rather than Jesus? The music and the preaching, it's not just getting a little bit better, it's doubling each time it comes out. I was in Time Warner Arena, and I'm no Einstein, but here, as in heaven, is going to shake the world, and it's just going to be the beginning of the next one, and the next So this is the pandering to your audience portion of the sermon, uh, designed to help uh, whet their appetite so they'll buy books, yeah. One And the next one, and the next one. And so thank you for your faith. Thank you for what you're a part of, being part of something bigger than just yourselves. Well, I've used up all my time. Have a great week. That's, no, that's not true. That's, I want to talk to you a little bit about how to see life through the eyes of a lion. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to see life through the eyes of a lion. If God wanted me to do this, don't you think that he would, well, you know, have put that in scripture. You inspired one of the apostles to write about that or caused one of the prophets to speak in this way explicitly. You know what I'm saying? How to see through the eyes of a lion. That's a metaphor. And it stands for looking at your life, having an outlook that, that looks through a telescope of faith, a telescope of faith, a telescope. It, it attracts and, and gathers and collects light, bringing it to you to magnify an image. So you can see Mm-hmm. And again, I'm just going to ask the question, what does this mean exactly? What is this application that you are bringing to me? If this is really an application from God's word, could you back it up with scripture, please? Close what's far away. That's what we, we want to learn how to do. Lions have spectacular vision. Did you know that? They're what you call long-sighted. They can see a long way away very well. So can eagles, yeah. It's amazing, you know, how how good some animals, their vision is. It's just, it just boggles the mind. But what does this have to do with Christianity, sound doctrine, or anything that God would want us to understand regarding the Christian faith? Why? Because they're really good at processing light. Lions uh, can, can, can see light and, and process light six times better than, than humans can. A little biology, is that okay, on what was supposed to be a really rainy day? Uh, Can we talk about how uh, biology would tell us that sight is just light? All right, we're (laughs) going to pause right there, and we're going to pay some bills so that we can uh, come back to this and figure out what on earth he's up to. Again, I'm not sure, this isn't exactly Jesus because he's not reading himself into a biblical text. This is more like... Discovery Channel documentary Jesus, I, you know, where you read <laughs> weird factoids from the animal kingdom or, you know, from the bizarre world of what's happening on the on cable channels into the uh, biblical text, you know, or at least into our lives as if somehow it has some relevance to what it is that uh, we should be understanding regarding Christianity. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to continue listening to Levi Lesko. This is our first look at him, and it's uh, not a good look. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. 
We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes, uh, what, what's wrong with it? Hey, what's wrong with it, my lad? It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. Yeah. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Oh, well, well I, I better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered uh, gospel Jesus. Uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. 
I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, young guys coming up through the ranks of the seeker-driven vision casting crowd are incapable of rightly handling God's word and therefore not worthy of your attention. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it. To the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. you and without your support. And a reminder, we are in the middle of our fall bake sale. In order to help us make budget, we've increased our expenses this year. Uh, taking on a part-time person, helping us with uh, overhauling our website, and uh, we're getting ready to launch this thing on October 31st. 
And uh, so uh, if you don't already support Fighting for the Faith, this would be a great time for you to do so. Head over to fightingforthefaith.com, click on the bake sale link, and you can get this year's T-shirt uh, it, you know, with the uh, I Survived the Four Blood Moons in the Shemitah, as well as uh, other items that we make available during our bake sale. Uh, again, all of the proceeds help us meet budgets so that we can continue to serve you in the greater body of Christ. Now, we're going to continue with this uh, Levi Lusco uh, sermon through the eyes of a lion. And again, this is our first real look at uh, Levi, and I'm not impressed at all. In fact, I'm very disappointed. This is a man who, um, you know, is being put forward as like the up-and-coming star, the person to be looking to. You, you need to be listening to this guy, buying his book, you know. And uh, he's not teaching me anything about God's Word. We continue. What we call sight is just the eye processing light. Specifically, it's the eye uh, letting light in through the cornea into the pupil where it's focused by the lens onto the rear wall of the retina. This is going to be on the test. Did you get all that? Light coming into the cornea, going to the pupil, focused by the lens onto the back wall of the eye called the retina that's covered in photoreceptors. Millions and millions of photoreceptors. There are two kinds of photoreceptors. There are what's called rods, and then there are what's called cones. Rods see shapes. They see shapes. They can work very well in low light, but they can't process color. Cones can see color. It's easy to remember because cones starts with CO and so does color. So cones get color. But get this, they require more light to function. So let's say you want to get dressed in the morning without waking up your wife or waking up your husband. So what do you do? You go into the closet without turning the light on and you can see the silhouette of all your clothes. You can make out the shapes of your clothes, but they're in black and white, aren't they? That's because you're only able to use your rods in dim lighting. The cones can't kick in until there's a certain amount of light. Now get this, when you're looking at your clothes in black and white, the color is still there. You just can't see it. It's still there. You just, it didn't go anywhere. You, you just can't see what's right there. It's hiding in plain sight. Now lions can see... Now notice, he's, he noticed the pause for dramatic effect. The color's still there, but you just can't see it. Oh, this is spiritually profound. Oh, I'm, my life is changing and transforming right before my eyes as I'm No, it's not. I mean, seriously, this is 10th grade biology class. I remember learning this before we, you know, cut into frogs and, you know, fetal pigs and things like that in my 10th uh, grade biology class. Um, yeah, um, sorry, but yeah, so what is what I'm saying? Who cares if I can't see in black and white, you know, in the dark, you know, when, when I'm, you know, of course, this makes perfect sense as to why sometimes when I go to grab the black socks, I grab the dark blue ones or I grab one black one and one dark blue one. And, and then I'm embarrassed for the rest of the day <laughs> to hide my legs. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, but this and everyone's in there going, oh, this is just amazing. No, this isn't. This is like the emperor's new, you know, new clothes. Levi Lusco has trotted out on stage wearing nothing except for a 10th grade biology lesson. This has nothing to do with God's word. Better than we can because they're better at processing light. Why? Well, first of all, their, their pupils are bigger than ours are. And that's the entrance of light. Uh, second of all, they have the ability to stretch their pupil three times wider when they need to, then we can. Then, get this, they have this reflective surface on the back wall of the retina behind the rods and cones, and it causes light that hits it to bounce back out. Have you ever seen a picture of a cat? 
so demons can be photographed. Now I'm just I'm just playing. But that was funny. You know how their eyes give off that weird, eerie, icky glow? Why? That's because of that reflective surface. It's the light bouncing back out. So get this. All the light that comes in, they get to process two times. Once on the way in and once on the way out. Then, get this. Lions have, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, uh, they have a white stripe under their eyes. Let's say you looked at a picture of a lion like that one. They always have a white stripe under their eye. Now, what is this for? It's the exact opposite of the eye black that a football player would wear. A football player would put it under their eyes to minimize glare. A lion has, God painted uh, eye white under the eyes of a lion to maximize glare. So that even in the dimness of the moonlight, whatever light is available, the maximum amount would be ported into, good Lord, how awesome is God? How great he thought of everything. Yeah, he did. In fact, God thought of everything so much that he even gave explicit instruction to pastors. Yeah, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, God explicitly, through the Apostle Paul, commands pastors to get this. Preach the word. Um, are you hearing anything about God's word? I mean, this is great Discovery Channel kind of stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, lions, you know, and you know, and light and rods and cones, and, you know, and, and how much they can see. Whoa, you know, and they even have, they don't have, you know, eye black. They have eye white so that they can, like, maximize. Yeah, uh, woo. Yeah, this is, you know, and everyone there is clapping and applauding, whooping and hollering and acting like, oh, this is just the most deepest thing ever. You know, I, there's Jesus right there in the in the eyeballs of a lion. Yeah, no, I mean, the man's supposed to be preaching the word and that's not what he's doing. Okay, okay, get this. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Lions don't have access to more light than other creatures do. They just are better at using the light that is there. Yeah, that's great. Now, what's the application for my life? I need to better use light? Um, Are we talking about real light now or allegorical, metaphorical light now? I mean... What, you just see where this is going, and this is just utterly miserable. That's why we need to see life through the eyes of a lion. It's not... Really? So because lions, they have better access to light, or they can, they have the same light that we all do, but they use it better. That's why we need to see life through the eyes of a lion. Um, yeah, where did Jesus tell me that again? Hmm, I don't seem to recall Jesus ever telling me I need to look through life through the eyes of a lion because of the fact that they are capable of processing light so much better than I am. Um, none of the apostles said it. None of the uh, none of the prophets said it of the Old Testament. Why would God want me to learn how to see life through the eyes of a lion then? Are you dealing with some new revelation from God? Did you ascend up to the third heaven like the apostle Paul? Are you bringing back for us new revelation that is not a part of the canon of Scripture that we need to tack on to the backside of our uh, Bibles, you know, right after the book of Revelation and before the book of Maps, the the new book called the Discovery Channel? 
You know, what is this? That we necessarily need more light. We just need to open our eyes wide. God, dilate the pupils of our soul that we might see the light that's already there. Because come on, arise. So you, you prayed to God that he would dilate the pupils of our souls. Yeah, you know, every time I go to the eye doctor and they dilate my eyes, I mean, I have to wear those really bizarre Terminator sunglasses for, you know, a few hours, you know, so that until things settle down. It, dilating my pupils has never been a positive thing in my life. And now you're telling me you want me to pray to God, the Holy Spirit, to ask him to dilate the eyes of my soul? Can, can, can he do that? It, are, do I have real soul eyeballs that need to be dilated? I have no idea what the physiology is regarding the eyes of the soul. Eyes shine. Your light has come. God's glory has shined upon us. Je and notice the shout line here. Yeah, and whooping everybody up into a frenzy. And what are they clapping for? Absolutely nothing. Jesus has turned off the darkness of death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Help us to see the hope of his... Yeah, and now we got the uh, the, the praise music falling in the background. Um, So he's mentioned the gospel. Hey, Jesus has brought us light through the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is, Levi? I'd like to actually hear you preach it. Glory, the riches of the inheritance of the saints in the light, the exceeding greatness of his power. Yeah, this is strip mining the Bible for applause lines toward us who believe we have plenty of light we just got to get better at seeing what's right there hiding in plain sight yeah how do i do that exactly what are the steps for getting better at, at finding the things that are hiding in plain sight what are the life applications so that i can do this that's why we got to use the telescope of faith. Oh, yeah, the telescope of faith. Mentioned in that, you know, that missing verse, <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> the armor of God, you know, you got the shield of faith and then you got the sword of truth. And the, the telescope of faith, yeah, it's it's part of the, the pack that, you know, all the Roman soldiers, yeah. <laughs> what Bible passage talks about the telescope of faith? We got to... We've got to attract and gather the light that's there so that what's far can be brought near so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Equal <laughs> with part of a verse and then meshes it together with the <laughs> lyrics from a hymn. Oh, man, this is bad. And grace. Well, we don't... But he's got good delivery. you got to give him that. I mean, the guy's got... He's got charismatic zeal and he's got great delivery and chops, but he's delivering utter nonsense to these people and they're eating this up as if they're, he's feeding them steak. Just need this telescope so that we can see and process well all the things that are happening out there. So I need the lion eye faith telescope thingy so that I can process the, and the better, yeah, right, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm taking notes here. Okay, so I need I need to see the uh, see through the eyes of a lion, which means I need the telescope of faith, which clearly has lion vision. You know, it's it's, it's not infrared; it's lion vision. Whatever this telescope of faith thing is, and and how do, where do I get this telescope of faith thing again? And how do I use it? Uh, where, huh, yeah, I'm really confused because here I got this application. I need to do this. You know, this is part of my to do list after I leave church today. And and uh, yeah. Yeah, how, how exactly does one go about using this 
lion-eyed telescope of faith thingy. We need that. Yeah. God only knows we need that. You need to you need to look at the news through the eyes of a lion. Right. So now I need to look at the news through the eyes of a lion. Right. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I, it's it's really important because he's saying it with such you know zeal and passion. You know, when, when you see tragedy, when you see crisis, when there's another shooting. There's been four shootings in U.S. schools since August. There's a mass murder in America every single two weeks. Now, when we watch the devastation, we need to be able to, to see through the telescope of faith so we can process light in the midst of darkness that we see in the world. But, but uh, so and when I'm watching the news regarding school shootings, this will come in handy for processing light. The, the, the lion-eyed telescope of faith thingy that you're talking about, which, again, I have no clue where I'm supposed to get this thing. No idea how I'm supposed to use it, but um, yeah, but I need to use it while watching the news. Got it. But 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 that's not all. We also need it just to look in here. We need the eyes of a lion to look at ourselves, so that we don't see ourselves as we are. We see ourselves as God sees us. So this lion-eyed uh, telescope of faith thingy um, has God vision. You know, so that when you look through it, it's processing light so that you can see into the spiritual spectrum and see you the way God sees you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, more details, please. Again, where do I find this telescope of faith that has the lion vision thing? And what will we find if we look at our own selves through the telescope of faith? We will see. You will see that you are destined for impact. No, you... Uh. Yeah, he's a narcissist, isn't he? Yeah, wow. So I'm going to what this this new you know this new piece of the armor of God. You know, you got the sword of the spirit and the and the buckle of you know, in the, the shield of faith and all these things. And then now you got the telescope of of faith with lion vision that sees into the spiritual spectrum. And once you can see, you are destined for. Impact, yeah, that's right. It's you know, I all I can say is, you know, now that I'm using this, you know, lion vision telescope of faith thingy, I, the best thing I can say is now that I can see myself the way God sees me, <laughs> it, it, yeah. Listen, the planet, yeah, I'm survive. I'm absolutely shocked that the planet Earth made it this long without me. You know, <laughs> what? On earth. Are we hearing about how great Jesus is? Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, I, you don't even need Jesus for this theology. Because this isn't theology. This is called mythology. This is, yeah, this, none of this is biblical. You're not ordinary. You're oh, yeah, that's right. I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just the bee's knees. I'm super importante, you know. You're not normal. No, you're not average. There is greatness inside of you. I got news for you. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood with all your... Yeah, strip mining the Bible now for narcissistic uh, slogans to say about myself. Faults with all you've done. Yeah, yeah. A holy nation. God's special people. He brought you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light that you may proclaim his praises. You've been saved by... Yeah, but see, you're not proclaiming 
proclaiming his praises. You're proclaiming our praises. Big difference, by the way. By the blood of Jesus, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. You've been seated in heavenly places. He didn't save you so you wouldn't go to hell. He saved you so you would shake the very gates of hell. Yeah, he, he Really, I'm supposed to shake the gates of hell. I, I don't think so. You are appointed and anointed to take your place and to change the world. Yeah, so there, you know, well, we got a, an idea of what's going on with his theology. Apparently, it's all about changing the world. Yeah, Jesus, by the way, when in Matthew 28, he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded. Um, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And um, so Jesus said, Make disciples. He did not say, Go and make a difference. Yeah, there's a big difference between those two, by the way. Uh, going and making a difference is an alternate mission, and uh, going and changing the world, again, not part of the Christian mission. Have you ever stopped to think that that's quite a head trip you're putting on people there, and quite a heavy load you're putting on them? It's like, yeah, so I came to church, and I didn't hear anything about Jesus, but I heard that, you know, I, apparently I'm destined for greatness, and it's my job to go and change the world. You know, I here I was just kind of hoping to go to college, and... Uh, you know, find a job, you know, a job in the corporate world and, you know, and, you know, maybe as an attorney, but I'm supposed to change the world now. It's like, oh no, man, where do you go to school for that? I know you go to Stephen Furtick's uh, 10 hour seminary for that. You know, you get to change the world diploma and certificate or something. That's what you're going to see when you look at yourself through the eyes of a lion. Yeah. Look at myself. Uh, yeah, I think there's a good reason why Stephen Furtick liked this book and has had Levi Lusco come and, uh, well, it's not really preaching, deliver an inspirational um, um, address to the people at Elevation Church. Because Levi Lusco, like Stephen Furtick, is a narcissistic dude. He thinks the Bible's all about you, and he's there to preach about how amazing you are, not to preach about how amazing Jesus is. To quote Thor, the great theologian, and to use a line from the Avengers. Uh, by the way, have you, have, have you actually heard biblical text in this sermon yet? No, you haven't. So first real quote doesn't come from the Bible. And by the way, we are 19 minutes, 56 seconds into the sermon. The first quote comes from the Avengers, not the Bible. What does that tell you? I think it was actually Thor's little brother. So we're going to hear from Thor's little brother. First quote. He's icky, but let's quote him anyway. You are burdened with glorious purpose. Well, I want to give you a few ways to use. Yeah. Burdened with glorious purpose. There you go. You've, yeah, wow. You've heard it from Thor's little brother right there. Um, yeah, you, you are burdened with glorious purpose. There you have it, folks. Wow. I mean... What on earth do you do with this? What can be done with this? I mean, this is an utter narcissistic train wreck. This is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about Jesus. And he's not preaching the wisdom of, of Scripture and the wisdom of God. He's preaching worldly wisdom and using worldly rhetoric to whip these people up into a frenzy about themselves. Yeah, 
Um, if God wanted us to have lion vision, then he'd say so in his word. But uh, let, me, um, let me read a passage of scripture. I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you. And this is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 10. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this to the church at Corinth. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Notice that unity here is not unity for the sake of unity. This is unity of mind and of the same judgment, which means the same doctrine. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is this, is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Thank God I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized into my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephan, household of Stephanus. Beyond, beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. I'm going to pause there. Was Stephen Furtick crucified for your sins? Are the people at Elevation Church baptized into the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son, Stephen Furtick? Are the people there at Elevation Church, are they followers of Levi Lusco? You know, who are these men that are exalting themselves and preaching themselves and their ideas rather than obeying the Lord of, of life himself? Last time I checked scripture, Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the head, not us, of the church. And we are given as Christians a message to proclaim, not a message to invent. We have a message to proclaim. It's the faith once delivered to the saints. The good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know, but uh, see, you know, this weird thing going on here. Um, you know, evangelicalism is following these you know, cults of personality. And it's, it's Stephen Furtick. It's Perry Noble. It was Mark Driscoll until he fell from grace. It's, 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 it's Rick Warren. It's James McDonald. It's Levi Lusco. He's the new up-and-comer. And, oh, this guy's gotcha. And, and you listen to his message, and the person I'm not hearing about is Jesus. The person I'm hearing a lot about is Levi Lusco. And Levi Lusco told me a lot about Stephen Furtick. I heard more praise and acclamation for Stephen Furtick than I did for Jesus Christ in this first sermon that we've reviewed of Levi Lusco's. What a problem this is. What a problem. But Paul then kind of goes on. You know, He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where, where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yeah, he has. And by the way, what we heard from Levi Lusco, you know, 
the, the wisdom found and the spiritual insights found in the guy who took the deep gulping breaths and dove to 300 feet below, uh, the, you know, b- below the water. That, we weren't hearing the wisdom of God. That's his worldly wisdom. His spiritual insights, and then claiming that God wants us to have lion vision. Yeah, yeah. That's not from God the Father either, or the Holy Spirit, or the Son. That's just worldly wisdom being pawned off as if it's biblical um, stuff that we're supposed to be, you know, listening to. For since the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews. Folly to Gentiles. And I, you know, I'm not going to add to scripture here, but, you know, I would say, you know, kind of conversely or, you know, kind of in the same vein, preaching Christ crucified is absolute folly to narcissistic evangelicals who are, who believe that it's their mission to change the world. No, it, it really isn't. There is no biblical text that says it's your job to change the world. Yeah, you're, you're acting in the office of Christ or the Messiah when you think you're doing that. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standings. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And did we hear boasting there? Oh, yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. You are just the most amazing thing ever. That's just nonsensical, fleshly boasting. Because of him... You are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Yeah, see the difference here? And when I came to you, brothers, Paul writing, Paul says this, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ, him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So let me ask you this question. Is Levi Lusco's message one that is going to leave you uh, resting in the power of God and the wisdom of God? Or is this just worldly wisdom being passed off as if it's spiritual insight? I'm going to go with the second one. I don't think this guy is safe at all. In fact, that first exposure to uh, Levi Lusco has me absolutely convinced he's full of himself and not full of Jesus. The spirit that he is full of is not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is all about pointing Jesus, pointing people to Jesus Christ. Whatever spirit existed, you know, was there at Elevation Church that Levi said that he felt, 
Well, that spirit wasn't pointing anybody to Jesus. It was pointing everybody to themselves and to Stephen Furtick and Levi Lusco. Jesus, well, apparently they tied him up, put him in one of those bags, put a millstone around the bag, and then threw him into the tank, where the same tank that that guy you know, dove down to 300 feet and came back. Yeah, he's at the bottom there. Yeah, he, he, you don't need Jesus for this kind of theology because this isn't biblical theology. It's something completely different. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to head down to New Zealand at Church Unlimited and listen to a sermon about being uncomfortable. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. 
see if we can find any similarities between uh, what we just heard from Levi Lesko and uh, the gal we're going to be listening to from Church Unlimited. Let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church Unlimited. That's right, Church Unlimited in Auckland, New Zealand. The uh, message we're going to be listening to is entitled Uncomfortable. Yeah, Uncomfortable. And it's by Jody Tolley of uh, Church Unlimited. And the best thing I can say is uh, you're going to hear Scripture. That's about the best thing I can say. But you're not going to actually hear Scripture in the sense that you're going to hear what it's really teaching and what it's really about. She's going to begin with her idea, read her idea into these passages that she's cherry-picked, and um, we'll note something ironic along the way. So let me go ahead and um, back off on the music, and without any further ado... Here is uh, Jody Tolley from Church Unlimited, Auckland, New Zealand, and her sermon entitled Uncomfortable. Here we go. I think I take it cold. No, it's not. It's... <laughs> I'll get back to that. Hey, how are you all doing? We had, a, um, we had a good morning this morning. It was a bit of a crazy morning. It's my little girl Emma's second birthday today. She's turning two. Yeah, there's a... Um, there's some pictures of her. She's our um, little ray of sunshine, bundle of energy. She's a whole heap of fun. She's, um, yeah, she's just neat. We really enjoy her. And so she was two today, so we got up and we sang happy birthday, and she was really cute. She would say happy birthday, and she'd go, to me. <laughs> it was really gorgeous. And, um, yeah, opened some presents and did all that. And then came, got ready and came here. So it was a good start to the day. But this morning, um, I want to share a message that I feel that God's placed on my heart for us. And it's interesting, actually, um, Sam and Pastor Kathy have already sort of alluded to some of the things I'm going to say. And, um, you know, as Kathy just told us... Now, I'm going to ask the obvious question. She's uh, claiming that God put this message on her heart. And my question is, uh, considering that what it is that you're listening to her doing... God's word explicitly forbids, why would God the Holy Spirit put a message on her heart when he doesn't even permit her to be preaching like the way she's doing? Hmm. It's exciting season that we're in, and it's such a God season, and it is so neat of acceleration and expansion and all that God's doing. There is that challenge for each one of us to step up as well. So I've titled this message, Uncomfortable. And the word uncomfortable makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know about you. Um, I hate being uncomfortable in any way. I love being comfortable. Comfortable is like one of my favorite things. And that's why I've brought my hoodie with me today because this is my comfy top. And um, <laughs> if you see me in winter, 
every morning I get up and I put this top on and every afternoon after I've been out, I put this top on. And if you were to come home and, and pop in randomly on us, if it was winter and it was cold, I'd be wearing this hoodie because it's, it's my favorite. It's just my comfy top and I just love it. There's something about it that I really like, but I won't. So you have a comfy hoodie. Yeah. Whew. I can feel my life changing as we speak here. Wearing it this morning. <laughs> I like the comfort of um, my spot in the lounge, which gets all the sun, and when the kids are out or asleep or something and no one's there, I sit down in that spot with my coffee and some food, and it's just good. It's my comfy spot. I like the comfort of routine. I love routine. I love to do the same thing every day and every week, and if you know me, you know that I go for the same walk every single day. That's just me. I like the comfort of routine. I like to stay at home. I, I don't really have any huge passions to travel. I like the comfort of my own home. Um, it's just nice. Yeah, we're l- l- learning a lot about Jody here. Um, not learning much about Jesus. Well, what is it with these people in these seeker-driven megachurches that they just can't help but want to talk about themselves? Easy, and I like it. And and it's, so it's funny that, that God, in his wonderful way, would put me with someone who is not like that. <laughs> Sam, he likes change. He thrives on change. He likes to do something new every day and all day, and he likes to go different places and explore different things. And I think if he could, he'd be that catalyst of change. He tries to be that for me. Um, But I guess God in his wisdom knows what we need, doesn't he? And he knows that if we could possibly harness our strengths and weaknesses together, we could be a great unit. We just have to work on that, eh? But anyway. Yeah, you might want to see a marriage therapist. Um, why are you telling us this during a sermon? Um, we've all heard of that term, comfort zone. But I wonder if you've heard of the dictionary definition of that term. Com- Dic- dictionary definition of the term comfort zone. Will you find this in a biblical Greek lexicon? Because, you know, I mean, generally, if you're going to find definitions... Oftentimes it has to do with Greek words in the original manuscripts, you know, things like that, of the New Testament, in in the Bible. Zone means a situation where one feels safe or at ease. It's a settled method of working that requires little effort and yields only barely acceptable results. And when I read that definition, I was really surprised, especially by the part that said, and yields only barely acceptable results. Yeah, and the thing I'm surprised about is that you think that this has something to do with biblical doctrine or theology. I thought to myself, man, if I love comfort so much, which I do, I don't want to live a life that yields only barely acceptable results, you know? So I felt really challenged, okay, I've got to start breaking out of this comfort zone. And there's a saying that goes like this. It says, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And so this morning, I want to challenge us all to step out of our comfort zone in some way. We, Even if you are a bit like Sam and you love change, you thrive on change, every single one of us have areas in our lives that we're comfortable in and that God would like to shake us up a little bit. Now, I let it go by, but let me remind you what she said. Life begins. She says there's a quote that says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Can you find that quote in the Bible? No. What is this? This is worldly wisdom. This is not biblical doctrine. This is not Christian theology. This is worldly wisdom. 
Like we heard this morning, you know, it could be that whole area of serving. It could be in your family. It could be at work. It could be any number of things. But we all have that area in our life that we're just comfortable in, and God would like us to step out a little bit. But don't worry, it's not going to be too challenging because this is coming from a girl who loves her comfort. Really, uh, where in Scripture does it say God wants us to step out a little bit, you know, get out of our comfort zones? I'd like to see that in a clear passage of Scripture. So um, before we get into it, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the season that we're in as a church. We thank you for our new campuses. We thank you for the growth that we're experiencing, for the presence that we're having, for all that you're doing. And God, I just pray that this morning as we look at your word and as we share about you, that you would just speak to each one of us in some way, that you'd touch us and you'd challenge us and you'd just be with us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to have a look at Mark chapter 5. You can turn with me there if you like. Now, notice she's actually going to try to prove this using um, biblical text. But notice she's already set up her theology. The theology was set up without any biblical text at all. So she's not actually engaging in exegesis. Nope, that's not what she's doing. She started with her conclusion first, and now she's going to hunt for passages that she thinks that can support her conclusion, and she's going to read her her ideas into these biblical texts. But we've already noted that um, she's not preaching biblical theology. This is worldly wisdom. Oh, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And God wants you to you know get out of your comfort zone, apparently. And she said that without any biblical text whatsoever. So now everything she's going to read from Scripture is proof texting to prove the conclusion that she already came to without any biblical text. This is not how you find out what the Bible teaches, and this is not how you learn sound doctrine. This is how you learn false doctrine. Um, It's a story about Jesus restoring the demon-possessed man, and I'm just going to paraphrase it a little, and then we'll pick it up in a couple of verses. So the disciples and Jesus, they went across the lake to the town of the Gerardines. And when Jesus got out of the boat, he was met by a man with an impure spirit who lives in the tombs. And he was wild, and um, the people of that town sent him up there, and they tried to chain him and bind him. But he wouldn't be bound. He kept breaking the chains off, and he'd spend his days and nights screaming and cutting himself with stones. And so when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. And the Bible says that Jesus saw him and he had compassion on him. And he asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the region. And they asked if they could be sent into the pigs. And you might remember that then um, Jesus does send the demons into those pigs. The pigs run into the water and they drown. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there and dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it had told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. 
And I think it's, you know, it's sort of funny to think that they would plead with Jesus to, to go. And I wonder if we'd gone to visit that town a couple of weeks earlier, whether we might have just found a, a quiet little town, quite happy with how things were, happy with their crazy guy on the hills. You know, that was them. It was part of their identity. They were comfortable. And then suddenly things started to get a bit disturbed. Things were a bit shaken up. Why? Because Jesus had come to visit and he'd shaken up their norm and he changed things a little bit and they weren't too sure what they thought of that. Well, they were sure. They didn't like it. And Now, so notice what she did there. She just read in this comfort zone theology into this text. And this text has nothing to do with comfort zone theology. Mark chapter 5. We'll start at verse 1. Open up your Bible. You're going to need it. Here's what it says. They came to the other side of the sea. That would be the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This guy is possessed. And uh, he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And I'm going to point this out here. The fact that the people there had tried to subdue him and tried to subdue him with chains says that they didn't consider this guy to be part of their just their little uh, sleepy town identity. Yeah, yeah, we got the crazy guy up in the tombs. And by the way, there's two of them. It's just that Mark only uh, picks up on the one. There's two of them. Uh, we know this from the other gospel accounts. So the this is not about you know their comfort zone. So notice that she said, Jody said, uh, I wonder if we had just visited them two weeks before, if we, what we would have seen. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Well, we have some of the backstory from the text, and the text says they actually tried to bind this dude with chains, and he was so strong because of his demonic possession, he was capable of breaking those chains. And he was cutting himself. Uh-huh. And verse 6, And when, they, when, they, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them away out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Another cultural clue as to what's going on here. Are Jews allowed to uh, eat pigs? No, they're not. The pigs are an unclean animal. Bacon is not part of their diet. So this tells us something about what's going on in this region. Here we've got a demon-possessed man. We've got a, you know, a large herd of pigs. Yeah, these people are pagans. They're unbelievers. That's what's going on here. So he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. They begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Yeah, this is going to be a huge loss of money. This is going to be a big hit for the local economy. 2,000 pigs 
A herd of 2,000 dying like that? Uh Uh-huh. So the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what was it that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. You need to leave, Jesus. Get out of here. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So a former demoniac, now proclaiming Christ and his work and his mercy. That's what the story is about. This isn't about, oh, well, you know, here are the people in the Decapolis. They just, you know, in the area of the Gerardines, they just had an opportunity, you know, to change the world, but they weren't willing to step out of their comfort zone. Yeah, Jody clearly has no clue how to handle a biblical text. It's not going to get any better, though. A story reveals to us about the people of the Gerardines is that their spiritual condition, um, their spiritual condition wasn't so great, and they were concerned about their pigs. They were more concerned about those pigs running off and drowning and the loss that that would cause them financially than they uh, were. The loss it did cause them. About the man being delivered, about Jesus coming and setting people free and salvation. They were worried about economic loss. And I guess they thought to themselves, man, if this guy sticks around, what else are we going to lose? What else is he going to change? We don't like it. Please leave. That's what they did. And, you know. So, yeah, they, they, were, they didn't want to be pushed outside of their comfort zone. They didn't want to be made uncomfortable, you know, by Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. If only they had just stepped outside of their comfort zone, they could have changed the world and, you know, and. You know, started to really live life. Easy for us to judge those people, isn't it? And thank gosh, you know, what is your problem? This guy's been set free. Jesus has turned up. Why are you not happy to see him? But I was thinking about it, and I wonder how do we react when Jesus turns up and disturbs our lives a little bit? You know, how do we react when Suddenly, our church is expanding. Suddenly, we are growing, and because we're growing, the and so oh yeah, so you know you, you don't want to be like the people in the Garradines area. I mean, when so when Jesus shows up at your church, and you know, and now you can't get your favorite parking spot, and you know, and maybe you have to go use the restrooms that are down the hall. You know, oh, yeah, you're being pushed outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, she's preaching about their church. Four-year-olds have to move into our parent lounge. And if you're a parent, you might have quite liked that lounge. I quite like that lounge. And it's a little bit uncomfortable that we now have to go into the cafe instead of our parent lounge. It can be a bit uncomfortable being challenged week after week to invite someone to church. Yeah, you know, inviting somebody to church is just like the the, the uncomfortable feeling that the people in the Garradines had regarding the guy who had the demons cast out of him. Yeah, it's, it's just like that. Being an offering week after week can cause us to be uncomfortable. It can cause us to be a little bit disturbed. Other things, you know, at work, maybe someone's pressuring you to 
do more or whatever. Maybe your husband or wife is getting on your back about some stuff and it could be good things. It can just get all a little bit uncomfortable. And how do we react when Jesus comes and disturbs us a little bit? Being uncomfortable is not always the most fun thing, but you know what? If it pushes us out, it can be the most rewarding thing in our lives. And more than ever before, it is a season that God is on the move in our church, and I'm sure in churches across this nation. You know, something is up. Something is happening. There's an excitement. There's momentum. These campuses... Yeah, something is up. It kind of reminds me of the great apostasy. That hasn't happened to us before, you know. We've suddenly got Whangarei and Kaitaia just like that. And it's exciting what God is doing. But as Kathy said already, that means that to keep on going, you know, the leadership, we're going forward and the church is going forward. But you guys, the whole church, have to come with us. We all have to move forward together. And that means that every single one of us have to step up a little bit, have to step out of our comfort zone. And you guys are awesome because, you know, you make this place happen week after week. And Sam and I love being part of this church so much because of you. But it is a season where God's saying, hey, can you do a little bit more? Can you pray just a little bit harder? Can you maybe serve in a different area? So God's saying, can you pray a little more? Can you work a little harder? Can you, you, you really, how are you getting that from this text? God's telling that to these people right now, really? Someone to serve in a different area or give a little more, whatever it might be. It's that season where we move from spectators or, you know, that kind of spectator mentality to very much participation. And that is so much more rewarding and fulfilling because we really do. So the whole point of this uh, sermon entitled Uncomfortable is to get people to up their involvement, you know, as volunteers because they need, you know, an army of uh, unpaid volunteers in order to make their seeker-driven church happened there in Auckland. Got it. Do it together. So it is a good thing. That, ex- that experience in the Gerardines wasn't the only time that Jesus made people uncomfortable. In fact, if you look at the Bible, most of his whole life, he did things that made people quite uncomfortable. You know, you look at how he told people off um, for being, you know, for not saying things that were correct biblically. You look at how he... Yeah, and I think Jesus would have some words to share with you regarding how you're mangling his word and not rightly handling it. Oh, and the fact that you're preaching when his word says you shouldn't be doing that at all. The disciples off sometimes. I mean, I just think about Peter, and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You know, that's got to be a little bit uncomfortable to have been told that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's analyze that. You know, let's, we'll do a little group therapy now. Do you, do you think that Peter felt uncomfortable when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan? Yeah, he probably did. Yeah. So what, what do you think our, our takeaway, our life lesson is, you know, regarding Peter's uncomfort that he experienced when Jesus said that? Hmm. Then there's the Pharisees. He made them uncomfortable by publicly correcting their false teachings. He called them um, wolves, offspring of serpents, and many other unflattering names. Jesus made the people uncomfortable by driving out the money changers in the temple, and he, and he declared that my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. He made people uncomfortable by challenging them to give all to the poor and come follow him. He made the disciples uncomfortable by washing his, their feet. He made people uncomfortable. Yeah, notice what she's doing. All these, you know, so all these things that Jesus did, they're all being ripped out of context. She's not actually preaching any of these texts, all just being rolled up into her or the thesis that she created without any biblical text 
at all the uh, the theology of of comfort zones and being uncomfortable by having compassion for and loving the outcasts the orphans the widows the children those that nobody wanted to have anything to do with the untouchables Jesus reached out to those people and that made others uncomfortable Jesus demonstrated a life that had no comfort zone just imagine for a minute living a life of no comfort zone that's how Jesus So lived. Jesus demonstrated a life of no comfort zone Huh, right. He did whatever his father told him to do. He did the complete will of God, even when it led him to the cross. And it had to be pretty uncomfortable for Jesus to leave his place in heaven, leave his place at the, at, you know, beside his father and come down. Yeah, it had to be really uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Yeah, poor Jesus. I mean, he was so uncomfortable. Earth and be born in a stable and live the life that he lived. It was really uncomfortable. And Jesus, and yet no biblical text uh, tells us about the extreme uncomfort that Jesus experienced, at least in that sense. No comfort zones challenges us to also leave our comfort zone and follow. Yeah, so there you go. Because Jesus had no comfort zone, and Jody has discovered this. Uh, it, now this then challenges us to, you know, also likewise don't have a comfort zone like Jesus didn't have one. Although no biblical text points out Jesus's lack of a comfort zone. Jody, in the 21st century in New Zealand, has all on her own discovered this new doctrine. You know, she's quite the theological innovator, you know? Um, Luke 9, verse 23 says, And Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And it's not exactly the most comfortable road to walk. But you know what? It's worth being a little bit uncomfortable here on earth for more comfort in eternity because that's where we need to have our focus. And what we do here on this earth, in this life, does make a difference to where we're going to be in eternity or to what we're going to get in eternity. So, uh, Boy, this begins to sound like a theology of self-righteousness. I think it is that season where we go, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? And I know for me that I feel that challenge that God wants me to stop rushing around and being busy all the time and doing, doing, doing and get on my knees and spend more time with him and spend more time reading his word, getting to know him. He's challenging me in that whole area of inviting, to step out in faith and to, you know, to ask people to come along because how else are we going to reach this nation and our city if we're not asking them to come? If we're not sharing God's love. So to help us get out of our comfort zone, I want to... Yeah, I'm going to note something here. If you invite your friends and neighbors to a church service where they don't preach Jesus, you haven't actually introduced them to Jesus. You're going to invite your friends and family to a church because you want them to be Christians. That means you're going to actually need to invite them to a church where God's word is rightly handled and Christ in his saving office is proclaimed and law and gospel are rightly divided, and you're going to need to go to a church where the women are not the preachers. Just saying, we continue. Three things that we can do. And the first thing is to overcome fear and increase in faith. Fear can hold us back in life. It can cripple us. It can paralyze us. And we all have fears. Some people have fear of heights or um, fear of the dark, fear of rejection, fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of people. could be all manner of things. But we don't have to let that fear bind us. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, a spirit of power, and a spirit of self-discipline. And I like that verse. I had to say it to myself this morning. And you know what? Faith is the answer to fear. Faith in Jesus. 
Faith and fear, they don't go together. Faith is described in Hebrews 11 verse 1 as being certain of what we do not see. And it's the absolute belief that Jesus is working behind the scenes in our circumstances, in our lives. Even if there's no tangible evidence of that, we know that he's working. I like this. Yeah, Hebrews 11, 6 and, you know, Hebrews 11, um, you know, that whole passage is the Great Hall of Faith passage. That's not really talking about what you're talking about. It has nothing to do with comfort zones per se. Let your faith be bigger than your fears. And this is another thing that I feel like God is speaking to us as a church and individuals about. If you recall the last couple of weeks when we had Pastor Sully, I think two weeks ago, he talked about increasing faith and increasing our faith by what we see and hear and do and think. And then last week, Dad, Pastor Tark spoke on um, ever-increasing faith and that if we have the faith as small as a mustard seed, that we can do whatever we need to with God. And then on Sunday night, Pastor David Peters also spoke on faith. So I think that God is on that. You know, he wants us to move forward in this area as a church and step out in faith. And with growth and acceleration, there needs to be that faith to back it up. And that means that we can have that for our own lives as well, not just in a church setting. God wants each of us to step up in faith. Step up in faith for your family, for your job, for your finances, for your breakthrough, whatever it might be. Step up in faith for your job, your finances, or your breakthrough. What are you talking about? Where in Scripture does it say to step up in faith for your breakthrough or your finances? What? God is on that that area of faith. And so maybe we can take a faith journey together and, and make it our daily prayer. Lord, increase my faith. Well, for some of us, it's, it's not quite that simple. We can be like the father in Mark 9 verse 23. And he says with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because God is so merciful. So even if we find it hard, we can still pray that prayer and know that God will come through. Secondly, To get out of our comfort zone, we have to make a decision. When Jesus calls, come follow me, or get out of the boat and walk on water, we need to have made a decision. Yeah, no, Jesus is not calling any of us to get out of any boats and walk on water. That's not not rightly handling that text. So notice she's a narcissist too. She's reading herself into texts like that. Jesus isn't calling us to be water walkers. That our answer is going to be yes. A um, couple of weeks ago, we had our women's service, and you may not have been there, but at night, and I'd got pa- Sally Ann, Pastor Paul's wife, to share about um, stepping out in faith and going to Kaitaia. And she talked about how many years ago they felt the call to missions, and they made a decision then that when that call came, their answer was yes. And they thought it would be overseas, and then they, they thought it might be a few different places. But anyway, when they got approached to go to Kaitaia, um, Sally Ann shares. She shared with us that you know, it was easy. The decision had already been made, and the answer was yes. And she stepped out in faith. She stepped out of her comfort zone, and they're doing a great job in Kaitaia. And for each of us, you know, it's great if we can come to that place where we've made that decision when those opportunities come. Sometimes opportunities come our way, and we think, oh, you know, just do that next time. There'll be another day. Um, some of the regrets that I have in my own life are opportunities that I didn't take. One of those opportunities was um, 
many years ago now when I finished my degree in marketing and accounting, you know, I just wasn't that motivated, probably just a bit too comfortable. And I didn't really get out there and try hard to get a good job or really work hard in my area of accounting. And so I ended up getting a job in the accounts department for a biotech company. And it was fine. I was there for a couple of years. But I feel like I could have done so much more. And it wasn't an opportunity that I took a hold of. On the flip side, um, again, quite a few years ago, I got asked to teach Pilates at Club Physical, which was quite out of the blue. And that was like, man, that's going to stretch me. And I said yes. And I did that for a number of years. And it was something that really did just um, push me out a little bit. It grew my confidence in front of people. It was really good for me. And I look back now and I'm glad that I did it. I don't do Pilates anymore. probably should. But anyway, um, it was a good season. And it was one of those decisions I'm glad I didn't say no to. Yeah, so so she's giving examples of uh, times where she, well, she wasn't pushed outside of her comfort zone, and then times when she has been. Wow, I mean, she's so spiritual. Sometimes opportunities do come, and they're not necessarily from God. So it is always important to pray about it and to get counsel, you know, and check it out if this is from God. But if it is clearly an opportunity from God, it's something that you can do for him, or maybe it's an opportunity to pray for someone or um, to move into a new area that's going to be a really good God thing, then I want to encourage you, go for it. You know, say yes. Take the opportunity when it comes. Sometimes I think about the heroes in the Bible, and I think, what if they didn't take their opportunities? What if Queen Esther, when Mordecai came to her and said, hey, the Jews are going to perish, there's a plot to kill them, you've got to go before the king, even though it meant, you know, maybe she could die. What if she said, you know what, I'm already pushed out of my comfort zone. I'm already queen, that's hard enough, I don't want to risk my life and go before the king. What if she had? Yeah, what if? I mean, what if, what if David didn't actually pick up those five stu- smooth stones? What if? What if? What if? This is no way to uh, actually learn what God's word says because the story of Esther is not a well, uh, you know, a moral story about learning how to be pushed outside of your comfort zones. That's not the moral of the story. It's not like Aesop's fables, you know. Done that. Now it says in the Bible that deliverance would have come from another source because it's the Jews, but um, Esther and her father's household would have perished. Instead, she stepped over that comfort zone. She stepped over that line, and she went before the king, and she pleaded her case, and she saved her people. And as we know, Haman went down there. I think God saved his people. Tubes. (laughs) Um, What about Daniel in the Bible? You know, if he hadn't been faithful to God, if he hadn't said, I don't care what the laws are, I'm praying. Rather than preaching what Daniel really did, we're going to just imagine what if he, what if Daniel decided to stay in his comfort zone and not allow himself to be stretched outside of his comfort zone? What would have happened? God, three times a day in front of the window, and I'm doing it. And he was thrown into the lion's den, but God then delivered him from the lion's den. And um, Darius, King Darius, he would have never issued the command for all the people of the whole world to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. What about David? If he hadn't got over his comfort zone and said, you know what, I can face Goliath, I can go out there, and he killed Goliath. There's so many people in the Bible. Yeah, and see, that's why those stories are there they're, they're not about Jesus. No, 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 no. They, they're about you learning how to get stretched beyond your comfort zone. There's no biblical text that says that, but Jody has discovered the, the new exegetical key to properly interpreting God's word. Just ordinary people, but they stepped out of their comfort zone. They stepped out in faith, and they changed history. 
Not everyone in the Bible was so willing to step out of their comfort zone, though. Um, Felix is an example of that. The Apostle Paul preached to the governor Felix about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And the Bible says that Felix was so disturbed by it that he trembled. But he said to them, he said to Apostle Paul, go your way for a time. When there is a more convenient season, I will call for you. But that more convenient season never came. Another time, Jesus and his disciples... If only Felix had been willing to step outside of his comfort zone, he, he would have been able to be a Christian. Came to a little town in Samaria, and all the people there cursed them. And his disciples, James and John, got a bit fired up, and they said, let us call down fire from heaven and destroy them. And Jesus said, no. But as far as we know, he never went back to that town. So we need to make the decision now that we are going to get out of our comfort zone when those opportunities come our way. So we need to decide now that when the opportunities show up, we're going to just jump on them and jump right outside of our comfort zone because that's what God wants us to hear today. Not his word rightly taught. No, this is a special message that was put on the heart of Jody Tolley. Say yes. Let's take those opportunities for God. And finally... Get around people who are going to give you a gentle push out of your comfort zone. You know, every one of us needs people in our lives to help us get from where we are to where we're supposed to be. And God knows that. And he puts those people around us, whether we like them or not. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And the hard thing is to respond rightly. And for me, you know, God and his wisdom put me around Sam, as I talked about. And he always pushes me out of my comfort zone. My dad pushes me out of my comfort zone. Every time I get up to do the announcements, he says to me, come on, you know, move around more, have a bit of fire. And, <laughs> you know, he's pushing me and, and I'm trying. <laughs> um, and then there's my kids. Man, do they push me out of my comfort zone. They take me over the edge completely. <laughs> but um, if I didn't have Sam and Dad and others in my life pushing me, honestly, I would probably be at home cooking and cleaning and walking, and that's about it because that's my comfort zone. And I'm ha- Yeah, apparently that's a bad thing uh, that you'd be at home, you know, being a mom and a wife. Those are both God-given vocations. Why are you despising them? there, but God is good and he knows what we need. So let's make sure there are people speaking into us, encouraging us, helping us to step out, step up and get into So who told you to step outside of your comfort zone and disobey God's word when it comes to women preaching in church? Faith zone that God has for us. All right, I just want to finish off giving you Four things, um, four benefits of getting out of our comfort zone. Because for me, I look at my comfort zone and I look at the things I need to overcome. So four benefits now. I mean, this is a sales pitch. You, you need to make the decision to get outside of your comfort zone. This is what God wants you to do because God laid this on Jody's heart, even though it's not found in any biblical text. Across that line, and it does equal risk. It does equal a little bit. It's a bit scary. You know, it's a bit hard. But if I can get over that line, there are some great benefits that come with that. The first one is that you're going to inspire others. What we do is noticed by other people. People are watching everything that we do and we say. And what we do gives them a role model for growth and change. And this doesn't just apply at work or church, but in your family as well with your kids. And I'm sure you can all think of people in your own lives that have been teachers or role models to you that have pushed you further, have made you go. Again, this is what we call worldly wisdom. This is not biblical doctrine. 
further in life than you ever thought that you could go by stepping out and believing in ourselves that allows us to be that person for others. Stepping out and believing in ourselves. Hmm. Weird Christianity in the Bible calls me to believe in Jesus, not myself. That is a problem. Number two, we'll have less regrets at the end. None of us want to get to the end of life and think, man, you know, I didn't run hard enough. I didn't really live for God. I didn't share my faith. I didn't give whatever it is. I didn't, I wasn't that, you know, family person I should have been. We don't want to get to the end of our life and feel like that. And by Yeah, will people go to hell because of that? I mean, you're talking about being judged here and in, in a way, well, we're judging ourselves, but what about Christ's judgment? a life where we step out of our comfort zone and we do our best to give our all to God and live entirely for Him. Then we- yeah, you know, just try giving your all to God for a whole day and you'll find out you ain't doing it. Uh, boy, this is a problem, a major problem. Uh, I mean, when I stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, is He going to say, yeah, you know, uh, Chris, I'm sorry here. You just didn't step outside of your comfort zone enough times. And so I, I'm sorry, I can't let you into heaven. Yeah. Is that, is that what He's going to say? going to have those big regrets at the end. I'm sure we all have some regrets, but you know, we can eliminate some of them by doing that. Number three, comfort, um, you'll define yourself authentically. And I like this one. Comfort's often defined by doing what everyone else does, you know, conforming to the norms and to the pressure around us. It's comfortable to just do what others are doing, to not step out, to not speak out, to not stand out, to just blend in. But by pushing into new areas and doing new things, um, standing up for your faith or whatever it might be, we have the chance to authentically define who we are and to break free of the limitations that others put around us. You know, they're, they're- yeah, authentically define who I am. Yeah, don't know any biblical texts that teach me to do that. Where are you getting this from, Jody? Expectations, what they think we can do, and as a church, that's what we try to do here at Church Unlimited. We, we don't want to be like the church down the road. We want to be the church that God's yeah, called Yeah, we don't want to be like the church down the road, you know, where they you know preach Christ and Him crucified for our sins, sound biblical doctrine, rightly handle God's Word, and, you know, think, yeah, no, 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 we, we, we don't want to be like that church. And we try very hard as a church not to just copy, although we can always learn from others, but, you know, to seek God and ask God, where does He want us to go? What does He want us to focus on? Yeah, so you just ignore the written Word of God, and you think that God wants, you know, we seek God, and God wanted us to have a woman preaching when God's Word says no, yeah. yeah clearly, whatever it is you're listening to, thinking that it's the voice of God, isn't. So that we can be authentically who God wants us to be, and that's what He wants for us as individuals as well. And number four, your life experience will be fuller. Those of- yeah, see, it's all about fuller life experiences. Yeah, you can find that in the book of, um, uh, yeah, you can't find it in the Bible anywhere. So have been forced to change, understand that what's comforting isn't always best for us. When we get uncomfortable in life by stepping out of that comfort zone and we start to learn what we're truly capable of doing, it's a good thing because all of us are capable of so much more than we think. And, you know, as we push past those limits with God on our side, our life experience is going to be a whole heap richer, and we're going to hit that mark that God has for us. God wants us to get uncomfortable with where we're at right now. He wants to disturb us a little bit. Why? Because he wants the very best for us. And as long as we think that we're good enough, 
we're not going to strive to get any better. As long as we think that we're wise enough, we're not going to become any wiser. If we think that we've climbed high enough, we're not going to climb any further. God has so much more for each of us. Sometimes we can get stuck in a place that was meant for temp- Yeah, you keep saying these things about God, and you're doing it without any biblical text. How do you know these things about God if God hasn't revealed it in the written word? Relief and make it a place of permanent comfort. Jonah does this in Jonah 4. Now, after Jonah goes through the process of running away from God, he gets swallowed by a fish, spit out. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches what God told him to say, that in 40 days, you know, you're going to get overthrown. And then he um, finds a spot and he sits back and he watches what's going to happen. And God provides a vine for him. And he's so happy about that. He's really comfortable. He sits down under that vine. It provides nice. So Jonah is an example of a guy who was in his comfort zone. You are aware that Jonah was mad at God because God had mercy on the people of Nineveh and forgave them of their sins. You are aware of that, right? Yeah, it's all about the comfort zone. So he has a, he has a plant, and he, he's feeling comfortable. He's comfortable. But then God also provides a worm to eat that vine, and the vine's taken away. And Jonah's mad. He's angry that this vine is gone. And, and it says in the Bible that um, God says to him, it's not right that you're so angry about this vine, because he was trying to make a, a place of temporary relief, a place of permanent comfort. And we- What? What? <laughs> So apparently Jonah was trying to make a place of temporary relief into permanent comfort. Yeah, I just we're going to have to take a look at Jonah. I just there's no way I can just let that go by. Yeah, see God had mercy on the people of Nineveh. And I'm going to I'm just going to pick up, you know, Jonah goes, he finally goes and he preaches to Nineveh 40 days and you're going to be overthrown and they repent in sackcloth and ashes. And, and, you know, even the king of Nineveh decrees, you know, I'll start at Jonah chapter 3, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Regarding his sin and his guilt before God, yeah. So he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh. By the decree in the, uh, of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Verse 1, chapter 4. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Why? Because God had mercy on them. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, it is, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So what is Jonah angry about? Was he angry because, you know, God took a shelter, a temporary shelter and didn't make it permanent? That's not it. That's not what's going on at all. God had mercy on Nineveh. 
Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself. And he sat under it in the shade until he should see what should become of the city. But the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and then perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Yeah, the whole point is God having mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving sins, relenting from disaster to those who repent. Yeah, she's totally missed the whole point. So she thinks uh, Jonah 4 is all about, you know, uh, that uh, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, and it's not. This woman has no clue what the Bible's about. All be a bit like that in life, you know. We can get stuck in a rut, stuck in the same spot, and we just need to push forward and push through and get out of that um, rut, and you know, get out from under that vine and get out into our communities or involved in our church or whatever it is that God is calling us to do. Because at the end of the day, this life is only for temporary relief. Our permanent comfort is on the other side of life and eternity. (laughs) And they're applauding this utter nonsense and mishandling of God's word. Clearly, the people at Church Unlimited have no idea what the Bible actually says. We need to align our concerns with God's concerns, to be concerned about the things that really matter to be moved enough to be bothered to get up from under our vine and do that thing that God is challenging us to do. Where in Scripture does it say God is challenging me to do something? Jesus could just come up. That would be great. So let's be stirred this morning to push past our comfort zone and step out, increase in faith, to make a decision that when those opportunities come... This is a motivational speech. So let us be motivated to move beyond our comfort zone. This is worldly wisdom, not biblical doctrine. This is going to be yes. It might be big opportunities. It might be small things. Whatever it is, let's make that decision that the answer is going to be yes. And get around people that are going to push us out of our comfort zone. Because with God and a bit of faith and a bit of courage, I really believe that each one of us can be those people that step out over that line and not only make a difference, but potentially change history. Oh, yeah, there we go again. Make a difference. Change history. Change the world. Get outside of your comfort zone, yeah. yeah. Forget about raising your kids and you know feeding your husband and stuff like that. You need to go change the world. God has that so much more for each one of us, and as we step out, he can use us like never before. Why don't you just stand with me this morning? Yeah, done. Yeah, I won't be standing with you. In fact, I'm planning on posting this on the Internet and warning everybody about your false teaching there. Yeah, so do you see the similarities between uh, what Jody was preaching and what Levi Lusco was doing? 
yeah, neither of them were rightly handling God's word. Neither of them were really uh, interested in preaching um, what, well, the Bible actually says. And both of them were uh, preaching this mythological doctrine that uh, apparently we're all supposed to be about changing the world. Yeah, no. Making disciples, yes. Changing the world, yeah, no. Did I hear a lot about Jesus? Yeah, no, I didn't hear anything about Jesus from either of them. Strange. And this coming from people who claim to be ministering in Christian churches and being, you know, Christian ministers. But don't you think Christians should be teaching us about, you know, Christ? What he's done for us? Just saying. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>